Everybody made it through the hurricane okay? No issues, no problems? Yes? FSU made it through the hurricanes? Right? Okay. That's cool. Barely. All right, well, we're starting a new series today called Under Authority. Now, when you hear the word authority, what comes to your mind? Are you the type of person who follows authority placed over you easily, or are you a rule breaker who is constantly pushing the boundaries around you? Are you compliant, or are you rebellious? What would your spouse or somebody close to you say that you are? Now, my wife and those who are close to me would call me a rule breaker. And it's not that I break the law or anything seriously like that. It's just I have a hard time following rules that I feel are not necessarily well thought out. If they're dumb, (laughs) I don't want to follow them. If they're dumb rules, I don't want to follow them. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. (coughs) Excuse me. I hate going to Sam's. Anybody else hate going to Sam's? I hate going to Sam's. My wife hates going to Sam's with me because she knows I'm going to complain about the same thing every time. The thing that I hate about Sam's the most is after you've stood in that long, long line and you've paid for your stuff, you have to stand in another long line just to get out the door because that lady with that theft deterrent highlighter (laughs) is standing there pretending to count the items in your cart Because she pretends, and then highlights your receipt so you can get out the door. Now, if I could breeze past that without causing a huge ruckus, you better believe I would do it in a heartbeat. But I can't, so I conform with as much disdain as I can muster, and I grumble and complain through the line, which is why my wife hates going with me, because I stand in line telling her how stupid this rule is, how dumb it is. And she's a rule follower. She she compliantly follows. She never questions any rules. And so my rebellious spirit makes makes her uncomfortable. Now, Sam's now has self-checkout, which I love, because I can do it faster than a cashier can do it, and I get to stack the stuff in my cart the way that I want to stack it. But here's the part that kills me. Because if you use the self-checkout system, you're supposed to have the person who manages the self-checkout, take your receipt and count all the items in your basket and make sure that they're correct, and she signs your receipt. Now, you would think that would give you a free pass to circumvent the line out the door with the theft deterrent highlighter. But no, it doesn't. You have to stand in line again for them to count your stuff. It is so frustrating for me. Now I have to have my stuff counted twice at Sam. So here's what I do. Because the person who's helping with the checkout, self-checkout, they've got a bunch of lanes they have to monitor. So I will try and time my checkout to finish when they're helping somebody else, and then I take off without her signing my receipt. And victory, I win. Right? And I showed them. Now, I tell you that story, one, to show you how stupid I can be, but also to show you the nature of rebellion in all of us. And why my rebellion is petty and harmless, there are other acts of rebellion that are playing out in our society and in our country that have some pretty serious consequences. And I don't know about you, but even though I don't 
like to follow dumb rules. I was brought up to respect those in authority. I was brought up to respect my parents, my teachers, and law enforcement. But more and more in our country, it seems that there's a lack of respect for authority. And even more serious, there's this huge trend in our country that sees no authority except the authority that a person makes for themselves. God is no longer an authority. Scripture is no longer an authority. Lawlessness begins to reign. I'm going to be honest with you. I might offend you in this message today. Please know it's not my intent to do so. I'm simply, my goal is simply to present to you what the Bible has to say about authority and what our responsibilities are towards that authority. And believe me, I know that a lot of what the Bible has to say goes against our Western mindset. Because even just hearing the word authority makes us bristle up a little bit. It's that American rebel spirit in us that says, I'm my own authority. So let's start with the definition of authority. Webster describes it as this. Webster. He'll get it on there. Let me just read it to you. (coughs) Webster uh, um, describes authority as this. The power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and to enforce obedience. Now, be honest. When you hear that definition, isn't there a part of you that says, nobody has power over me. I don't take orders from anyone. I'll make my own decisions, and forced obedience sounds like slavery to me. I know I feel that way to a degree. And part of it is that American mindset that we have that independence as Americans that this country was founded on, but part of it is just the rebellious nature of mankind. Because this isn't just an American issue. Rebellion is at the core of the fallen man. All the way back to Adam and Eve. You look at Adam and Eve, the original sin, that sin is rebellion against authority. When God created Adam and Eve, he only gave them one rule. Do not eat of the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't just a commandment to abstain from a certain type of fruit, but it was rather God putting Adam and Eve under his authority so that they would learn obedience. On the one hand, God placed all created things on the earth under Adam's authority so that he could have dominion over them. But on the other hand, God placed Adam himself under God's authority that Adam might obey authority. See, only uh, only a person under authority can have authority. But because Adam and Eve chose not to obey, and it was a choice initiated by their own free will, they sinned against God's authority and allowed the principle of rebellion into this world. And they took right and wrong, and they put it in their own hands, instead of it being in God's hands where it should be. See, think about it. Before they ate that fruit, they had no concept of what right and wrong was. Only complete obedience to God's rightful authority was all that they knew. (coughs) But by taking that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they found a source of right and wrong in some place other than God. They found it in themselves. And they chose to remove themselves from under God's authority. And in essence, what they were saying is, no, thank you, God. I'll decide what's right and wrong for myself. And this is the result of the fall. (coughs) Excuse me. And ever since that event, ever since that time, God has been working to get us back into the proper position under his authority. 
And that's the work of redemption. Redemption brings us back to the place where we find our right and wrong in God and in God alone. And redemption starts by us understanding our salvation, that saving faith, it starts with us understanding and acknowledging the fact that God is the ultimate authority and standard in our lives. God is the ultimate authority and standard in our lives. Romans says, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. No authority except God. Let me say that again because it's really important and foundational. There is no authority except from God. God is the one and only authority. And we have to be so clear and we have to understand this completely because it is a foundational truth to our faith. And it's a truth that is being undermined undermined by a politically correct kind of theology that is rapidly removing God as the authority. It's an individualistic theology that's all about self. It's a theology that says there is no standard for right and wrong except the standard that I set for myself. And it's a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Because when we begin to decide what's right and wrong for ourselves, then we start to ignore God's word and we allow culture to determine our morality. And when we do that, we find ourselves in direct rebellion of God. And I believe that's where a lot of the church in America is today. And I believe that's where a lot of us could be today as well. See, we've ignored God's word. We've ignored his word so much. We've left it to collect dust on the shelf. We don't even know what his word says anymore. We don't know what his word says. And when we don't know his word, we allow every other source to fill in the gaps for us, to tell us what's right and wrong, to the point that we now start to believe that God's word is no longer valid, that it's outdated, that it's not written for this time. I can't tell you how wrong that is and how far off base that is. Scripture God's word is the standard that we go by. It has to be. If it isn't the standard, what standard do we use to measure right and wrong? I want you to really think about this for a minute because it's key and foundational. If God doesn't set the standard, then who does? You? Me? Hillary Clinton? Donald Trump? Who sets the standard for us? Who has the right to set the standard for all of us? See, the problem is, is when we begin to set the standard, when we start to determine what's right and wrong, we're back in the garden again, pulling the fruit down and saying, God, I know better than you. I know better than you, God. And we begin to justify all the sin in our lives. And we start to pick and choose parts of the Bible that we want to believe in and follow. And then the parts that confront our sin or the parts that confront our wrong beliefs, we simply disregard as irrelevant, not written for this time, not for this age. See, our entire relationship with God is determined by whether or not we have accepted his authority whether or not we've accepted the authority of his word. Our salvation, 
our redemption is determined by whether or not we have accepted his authority over our lives. We just sang a song about it. All authority is Christ's. Do we really believe that? Or is it just some words that we sing? See, even nature understands the authority of Christ. Hebrews says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word or his authority of his power. See, Christ not only made all things, but he'll someday inherit all things, but he holds all things together in the present. The Greek word for uphold means to support and maintain. And in here, in this instance, it's in present tense implying continuous action. Everything in the universe is sustained right now by the authority of Jesus Christ. All the laws of nature, all the laws of physics, everything that's been created is held together by Christ's authority. That's why the Bible says God upholds all things by the word, which is of his authority. In the whole universe, only God is authority. All authorities are appointed by God. Nothing is greater than his authority. So God is the ultimate authority and standard, but God has also placed human authority over us as well, <coughs> namely government. And everybody loves government, right? Let's go back to that Romans passage. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anybody who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but to also keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes. Fun, fun, fun. Pay your taxes for the same reason, for the government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honor. Respect and honor to those who are in authority. So no matter who you vote for or who you don't vote for, no matter if your person wins or doesn't win, we have to understand that we have a responsibility to respect the authority of government because God is the one who put it in place. See, Paul makes that really clear in this passage. It doesn't mean that they're sanctioned by God or that God endorses everything that civil governments do. We know better than that. But what Paul is saying is God is the one who brings governments to pass. And we're called to submit to the rulers of the government out of respect for Christ. First Peter 2, Peter says we should obey the civil magistrates for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. So how is Christ glorified by me submitting to the governor of Florida or to the Congress of the United States? 
I think the bigger issue in question here is the ultimate struggle between competing voices of authority, either the principle of Satan or the principle of God. The question is, do I manifest the spirit of obedience to the law of God, or do we participate in a spirit of lawlessness? And it's interesting that the Antichrist is associated and identified with a man of lawlessness. See, I think we're called to obey the government because God's created this tiered structure of authority. God being the ultimate authority in heaven and earth, he has delegated his authority to his son. Jesus said in Matthew, all authority has been given to me. It was the song we sang. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And yet underneath the authority of the son, who is the king of kings and lord of lords, are levels of earthly authority, such as government, and its various levels, down to the authority of employers over employees, parents over children. And we see that that ultimate authority finds its sanction in God's authority. So when we rebel against God's representative, when we, re- when we rebel against God's representative authority, it's the same as us rebelling against God. It's the same thing. See, if I'm careless in my obedience to authority at lower levels, then I'm placing myself in a posture of disobedience to the ultimate authority that stands above and behind the earthly authority. It's the law of God that we disobey. My responsibility as a follower of Christ is to be a model in civil obedience, bending over backwards to obey my teachers, my employers, my governors, my police officers, through this, through this, I'm honoring Christ, who is the model of authority and obedience to the law. I mean, think about this. Christ subjected himself to the law of the land, and he was unfairly treated, unjustly convicted, and wrongly executed. And he could have stopped it at any time. He could have said, no, I'm not doing it. But he didn't. He's our model. And we shouldn't do any less. So the question is, is it ever justifiable to engage in revolt? See, this was a crucial question at the time of the American Revolution. And Christian Christian theologians fall on both sides of this issue. And we don't have time to get into the details of that, but I think you have to be very, very careful when you start to talk about revolt. Because it's easy to get wrapped up into political issues. See, the zeal for the preservation of the Christian faith, both culturally and individually, often gets blended in with strong views about economics, taxation, social issues, and partisanship. And it gets wrapped up so deeply that sometimes the Bible gets wrapped up into the American flag. And throughout history, a lot of horrible things have been done in the name of Jesus. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful when we talk about civil disobedience. Because the mission of the church is not to change society. Let me say that again. The mission of this church is not to change society. Although that's a beneficial byproduct of faithful living, our mission is to worship and serve the Lord and bring others to saving faith in Him. 
It really doesn't matter if people go to hell as a policeman or a prostitute, as a judge or a criminal. It doesn't matter if you're pro-life or pro-abortion. If you don't know Christ, the result is the same. They both go to hell. And our mission is sharing the gospel of Christ with one person at a time. One person at a time. And there's a great picture of how civil disobedience is supposed to play out when the laws of the land go against God's laws. And it's in Daniel chapter 3. And it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I don't have time to read the whole story today, so I'm going to sum it up real quickly for you. King Nebuchadnezzar had a golden image made, and he decreed that every time a horn was blown, everybody would bow down and worship this idol. And if you didn't do that, you were thrown into the fiery furnace. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being good Jewish boys, knew that God's law said not to bow down to other idols. And so they refused to do so. But here's the key. See, they didn't go around to their other Jewish brothers and rally all of them together to say, hey, let's try to overthrow the king. They didn't try to get the other Jews to revolt. They didn't use their influential position in the king's government because they were way high up in the king's government. They didn't use their influential positions to undermine the king's authority. They simply respectfully declined to obey a law that went against God's law. And they were prepared to suffer the consequences of refusing that law. See, they continued to submit themselves to the consequences of an earthly authority that God had established, knowing that the result could be their death at the hands of the king. And so when the king saw their disobedience, he threw them into the furnace. They didn't know whether they were going to live or die. They were simply being obedient to what God had called them to do. But God saved them and was glorified through their obedience, not only to God, but, to the, but obedience to the king. God was glorified by their obedience to the earthly authority as well. See, Nebuchadnezzar said praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn from limb to limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. See, in most matters, we're supposed to respect and obey the civil laws and ordinances that we have, and we're to do it ungrudgingly. But even when conscience leaves us no alternative but to disobey human authority, we have to do so with respect and a willingness to suffer whatever penalties and consequences may result. See, there are no, there are other human, there are no, there is no authority except for God. And God puts those human authorities over us, government being one of them. There are other human authorities over us as well, home being one of them, where the husband is the head of the household and the children are subjected to the authority of their parents. Work is another, where we're placed under the authority of our employers. And we must work in a way that honors God in all we do. Regardless if our boss 
is a good boss or a horrible boss. And I wish we had more time to talk about these two things because you could do a whole sermon on each one of them. And actually next week we're going to talk about authority in the home. But I don't have time to get into them because I want to talk about the last one. And that's the authority that God has placed in the church. Hebrews 13 says this. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. See, God mediates his authority on this earth through various people, both secular and spiritual. And even those who are not believers are used to further his will on this earth. But for believers, God's most important rule is through spirit-controlled people. See, someday God will rule all the earth through his son, who is the king of kings. But in the meantime, he rules his church through godly people. And submission to these people is therefore submission to God because leaders in the church represent God. Leaders of the church are called elders, pastors, and overseers, and the titles are often interchangeable. And these people are called by the Spirit of God to lead his church on earth until Christ returns. When Paul and Barnabas went around on their missionary journey establishing churches, every church they established, he put elders in place to lead and guide the church. In many churches today, the congregation rules the leaders. And I don't think this is a biblical model for doing church. I don't think it's the right way. I believe that God calls the faithful to humbly lead through servant leadership in a position that was modeled by Christ. See, remember the last series in Body Life and we talked about the different roles within the body, that there's no part of the body more important than the other parts, just different roles. God values equal, each role equally, so there's no difference in value. Leadership is just a role. God doesn't value the role of leadership any more than he values the role of a person who's serving. Both are needed in a church. The role of leaders in the church is to seek God out in all meekness and humility and determine the direction of the church to preside over it, to teach the word of God in it, to, repute, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort believers. They're to shepherd the flock that God gives them, exercising oversight, not out of compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for gain, but with eagerness, not lording it over the people that God's put in their care, but proving to be examples to the flock. Because pastors and elders are shepherds who serve under the good shepherd, and they're responsible to him. And it's not to say that spiritual leaders are infallible or perfect. It's not to say that leaders don't abuse their power. You all know that's true. You see it played out. And there are times when a church member is justified in disagreeing with a pastor or elder, even accusing that pastor or elder of sin. But Scripture's really clear about how to do that and how that's done. First Timothy says, don't receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. And those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. So just as church leaders are to lead in love and humility, those under their leadership are to submit in love and humility. 
1 Thessalonians says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. See, when you don't have spirit-filled leaders who lead well in a church, or you don't have submissive people who follow well in a church, you have chaos and you have disunity. And it opens the doors to all sorts of spiritual problems. And the enemy gets in and he wins because he destroys every bit of work that God is trying to do. The unity of the church depends on us submitting to the authorities put over us by God. And our responsibility as followers of Christ is to submit to the authority over us in every area of our lives. Proper submission is the key to living a spirit-filled life. See, all believers are to submit to each other. That's Ephesians 5.21. Wives are to submit to their husbands. That's Ephesians 5.22. Children are to submit to their parents. That's Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Believers submit to the government. We read that in Romans 13. Younger men are to submit to older men, 1 Peter 5. The church submits to Christ, and Christ submits to the Father. So let me go back to my original question. Do you have a rebellious spirit? Are you pushing the boundaries in your home, in your workplace, in your school, even in your church? Because if you are, you need to realize that you're fighting against God. You're fighting against God. Or, or are you willingly submitting to the authorities put over you, knowing knowing that they're God-ordained, knowing that by doing so, you are honoring the Lord and bringing Him glory. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. And then people who are not believers will respect the way that you live. And that should be our mission to live in a way that allows the possibility to earn the right to share the gospel with somebody. And we can only do that with a humble spirit and a submissive heart that understands that we are under authority. Band, you guys can come up. And as the band comes up, I want to talk to you about our, our next, step, next Step Center. We've been talking about it for a couple weeks now. And I want you to know that whatever your next step is, that's the place for you to go. Maybe you're here today and you don't understand what it means to be under the authority of Christ. And you want to know what that redemption, what that salvation is. That Christ died for your sins because he loves you. And that he wants to rescue you. Maybe you don't understand that and you want to talk about that. Man, I'd be happy to talk to you about what it means to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in your life. I'll be at the Next Step Center to talk to you. You can come during the song or you can wait till after church is over. Anytime, you, I'll, I'll be there to talk to you. Maybe your next step is you need to get plugged in. You need to get connected to this body of believers. And you want to get connected to a small group, go to Next Steps. 
Maybe you want to serve in a greeter team or usher team. Go to next steps. Maybe God's calling you to do something deeper. Go to next steps. We have a lot of resources over there. And we want to be able to help you take whatever your next step is in your walk with Christ. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the authority that you have over our lives. I thank you for your word, which brings life to us, God. God, help your scripture, your word, to be the authority in our lives. God, forgive us that we rebel so much against you, that we have that pride in us that doesn't want to submit to your authority, that doesn't want to submit to the human authority that you've put over us. God, help us to overcome those things to be the people that you've called us to be and to be the church you've called us to be. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.